Hey, this is Brody, and you're listening to Running It with Nate Sexton. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the Innova Team Captain and 2017 United States Disc Golf Champion and our host, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man? I'm great. How are you, Jarrett? Ah, oh, man, if I was any better, I'd be jealous of myself. I'm, uh, I'm having, I'm having a great day here. The weather's finally gotten nice in Buffalo. A couple of 50 degree days, which means that, uh, I got to get out and play some disc golf. So in honor of today's show, I thought I would go out and, uh, and I would try to be like Simon, you know, just make some smart plays, pick some crazy lines, lead the pack, but, I guess I ended up kind of looking more like Theodore, just kind of chubby and goofy and everybody feeling sorry for me. So it didn't work out that well. Now, Nate, before we get started on these podcasts, you know, you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. So I always have to try to find a way to really get myself up to get ready for it this late at night. And it used to kind of be those high sugar energy drinks. But luckily, we've got a new sponsor here who kind of hooked us up. And I'm talking about the folks over at Cab Coffee Roasters. Um, for those of you who haven't seen on our social media yet, uh, Cab Coffee Roasters is a specialty coffee roaster dedicated to advancing the lives of adults with special needs, uh, which is really an awesome thing. Uh, CAB actually stands for Cooper and Brooke. Those are two individuals that live with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, and as they've gotten older, it's been hard for them to come across a job. So Hudson, uh, the founder over at CAB, decided to start CAB Coffee Roasters and he helped get them to work. Um, he's doing amazing things with, uh, with how he wants to grow this company. All their coffee from CAB, it's all direct trade. Now, that means that they're sourcing it directly from the farmer. There's no middleman and they roast to order. So that means when you order it, they're roasting that coffee specifically with you in mind. Now, Nate, I've had a few cups of it. I guess you might be able to tell I'm talking a little fast tonight. Um, how have you been enjoying your CAB coffee? Oh man, it's great. I, I, the one I cracked into first is this Brazil Salmo and it's a, uh... Really smooth. I mean, I've had it like three, four days now, uh, every morning, and it says right on the bag, roasted on March 1st, so you know it's fresh. Uh, it says it's got notes of milk chocolate and peanut butter, and I'm not going to lie to you and say that I taste those things. I'm not exactly a coffee genius, but I will tell you it blows my Starbucks beans from Costco out of the water in terms of just smoothness, and it's not, it's not weak. It's definitely strong and it's flavorful, but it's like a lot smoother than what I was used to, so I'm loving it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been delicious, and uh, I'm really happy that we were able to get them on board. Guys, if you're enjoying the show, we talk about helping support our sponsors all the time, and now you can help support a sponsor who's out there doing some things for their community uh, and in the autism uh, community, which is just absolutely awesome. Hudson is an amazing guy. Visit Cab Coffee Roasters. You can find them on Instagram and on Facebook. They'll get you over to the website. And Nate, something else that I know that you really like, Cab Coffee Roasters they've got a subscription package available as well. So you don't have to worry about going out to stores. You don't have to go wait in line during this COVID at Starbucks. They're just going to keep sending it right to you. And uh, I know that's something that you you like as well. Yeah, I'm all about the subscription services for sure, if I can get it. And that, it's super convenient. These guys are actually just like right up the road from me, an hour, hour and a half away in Washington State. 
and we got the code. I mean, we're ready for you guys. Run it 10. Again, if you use that on checkout, you can get 10% off your first order at Cab Coffee Roasters. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you check them out. Now, obviously, everybody knows that on top of having Cab Coffee Roasters, our go-to, our sponsor from day one, Fisher Disc Golf. Now, guys, I know you've heard me talking about them in every single episode. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to check out Disc Stacks yet, but it happens every Tuesday and Friday at 8 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. It's really a cool concept. Uh, in fact, I was throwing a disc that I won uh, in my Disc Stacks today. It's a disc that I would have never bought off of the shelf, uh, but I, I, I won it. They sent it out to me, and uh, and I really was enjoying it. I played it with a bunch of holes today. Uh, check out FisherDiscGolf.com. They are constantly updating their inventory. Every day they've got new stuff coming in. Um, they just loaded up a bunch of new Innova and some Discraft. Uh, there's still a few of those Ledgestone Wave 1 drop discs available. Uh, and then on top of that, really cool apparel and uh, baskets. Anything that you need to go out and play around a disc golf, our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com can help you out with. And again, just like Cab Coffee Roasters, when you go to FisherDiscGolf.com, you get to use a special code, and that's the best way to support the podcast. Now, Nate, if our listeners want to save a little bit of money, how do they do it at FisherDiscGolf.com? Use our code RUNIT10. You always get free shipping with Fisher. Those guys are kind of, they're our rock. They took a couple lonely podcasters, and they, they showed us the way. They put us on a path to success. So really appreciate Fisher Disc Golf. Yeah, absolutely. Official sponsor of, uh, of the Ledgestone as well. So, um, you know, doing a bunch of things out there as well. So check out FisherDiscGolf.com. I'm super excited about today's episode. Who's running it with us today, Nate? Yeah, we've got a good one, man. We got European disc golf champion, disc golf superstar, and probably my daughter's favorite player, Mr. Simon Lazat. Welcome, Simon. I am already on here. Well, guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm, Pretty excited to join this podcast that I've been enjoying myself a lot. Oh, man, you've been listening? That's great. Yeah, just today doing yard work, I was having the Brody episode on and the Dunny Pace episode, and it, it was really fun to listen to. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Really, really glad to have you on the show. Um, we had talked before you came on and, and didn't want to kind of put you through the ringer of going through the the injury thing again so just want to start off by saying hope you're healing up well uh, and just kind of ask what you've been up to aside from rehabbing your elbow oh, oh you know it's uh hard to say because every day is a bit different i live together with my uh, fiance we still feel like we just got a new house even though it's been six months at this time so I'm still learning baby steps on how to take care of a house, how, how like the water stuff works and the electricity and keeping it clean more or less and just kind of doing grown up stuff. Today I was taking care of the yard, which is also a first for me. So pretty much doing like adult things, going <laughs> to see the dentist, seeing my doctor, doing like physical checks and stuff. All besides what I do for my elbow right now, which I just started acupuncture last week as well to add to the list, which I honestly have to say I really like that. So shout out to people who do acupuncture. Nice. And besides those things for fun, you know, number one priority for me and the new house with a pool table. I think everyone that follows me knows by now that pool and darts are like my big go-to things to do, which are unfortunately not great for my elbow, both of them. <laughs> but uh, they kind of told me my um, 
therapist told me that as long as I don't feel pain while I do things, it should be okay. But um, I'm still limiting myself to like 30 minutes a day to not overdo it or try to make things worse. But I, I just can't stay off of it. It's like addictive to me to play at least 30 minutes of pool or darts a day. And besides that, Netflix and chill, you know how it yeah, is. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely know that know that same life. I mean, I I kind of I guess I've been in my house for a year and a half and I still kind of have the same feeling of like, wow, okay, that's where the the filter <laughs> the air filter goes. You know, like I guess you gotta get back behind that wall and figure that out. So definitely a learning process. I was kind of curious with you being a new homeowner and i don't know i don't actually really even know if it's any different buying a home as like a international you know not a u.s citizen but for me when i bought my house did you run into problems with like proving that you have money even though you're a disc golfer i did not really because i've been lucky or i don't know if it's luck um i've been working with disc mania for so long and we did this huge crazy expensive and complicated process of getting me an athlete visa which i'm pretty sure i'm the only disc golfer ever to have like an official visa to be here and be a professional athlete for five years and i remember the great time where i had to drive seven hours from here close to boston all the way to buffalo cross the what's it called peace bridge or something the Peace Bridge, yeah. Yeah, cross the Peace Peace Bridge over to Canada, do a U-turn, and come back to get my to get my passport stamped that I'm now on a P1 status and not anymore on a visitor status. Um, and the officer that gave me the stamp was like, I've been here for 12 years and I've never given anyone a five-year visa. And I felt so special and I was like, damn, this is really cool. And the officer that checked my visa afterwards shook her head and she was like, man, they give people visas for everything nowadays. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> and then I drove seven Sign hours it. back the same day. It was a crazy day. Don't let Nate fool you. When he walked in to the to the mortgage company, he just opened up a briefcase and had a bunch of those Las Vegas <laughs> challenge uh, Sexton Firebirds in there. And they, they knew he meant business. Yeah, I'm gonna tell I mean, you. I'm gonna tell you this, Jared. The bank does not speak Firebird. <laughs> they 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 know a lot about currencies, but Firebird's not one of them. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back to your question, Nate. I mean, I I have the five year contract and um, the five year visa, so that stuff really helped. And my base salary with Discmania is like solid enough. Plus, I live together with a girl that works in biotech in a lab and. Um, she did most of the work for everything that we had to do paperwork wise and how to figure things out. So I honestly don't even know how we ended up with this house, but it happened and I gave her everything she said she needed and it kind of worked out at the end. That's great. It looks really nice from what I've seen. Ours wasn't like crazy, but definitely had to jump through some hoops just because they're like, wait, what's your job exactly? And yeah, you know, just because they haven't seen that before. But aren't you? You're a uh, you're a dual citizen, Canadian and German, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Always been. My dad is full on Canadian, French Canadian, actually. So he speaks French and English, and now also fluent German. So that's pretty cool. I'm pretty sad that they didn't um, teach us try uh, three languages when we were growing up. So it was only German and English. 
Uh, but my English has improved immensely over the last couple of years because through the whole German school system, it kind of suffered. I don't know why. It's, learning a language in school is just rough. You kind of just have to go travel and figure it out. Yeah, I think I did two years, two whole years of German, and I'm yeah. I got nothing. I got nothing left. I don't <laughs> know, like barely goes. anything. And I and I have a German stepdad too to help me a little bit. So yeah, it goes. You can learn it a little, but it certainly doesn't stick around unless you're out there exercising those muscles and and using it. Totally, yeah. Man. So but you yeah, said you're so- up by up by Boston. Is that is that where you guys settled? Yeah, so, I mean, the next biggest city over from Boston going west is Worcester, which is uh, right next to Maple Hill. Maple Hill is just outside of Worcester, and I live, like, on the other side of Worcester compared to Maple Hill. So it's, like, a 30-minute drive to Maple Hill, which is nice, and, like, a 45-minute drive to Boston. That's great, man. Maple Hill, what a what a place to be able to call a home course. That's really good. Yeah, I I haven't played it in months, but yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be like in the 60s here tomorrow and Thursday and Friday. So I have the go from my therapist to go out and play the Reds, which is the really short pitch and putt course for us. So I'm really excited to go out and play in like a light sweater or maybe even a t-shirt. Awesome. Yeah, that's how Vegas was for me. I mean, like it is every year, but just to go there and, and be like, oh, yeah, like you really can throw it a little harder once it's not freezing cold all the time. So it's always a always a nice wake up call when you come back from you know a little time off from the winter. Yeah, it's so nice. Also, every year that feeling doesn't go away. Like every year, yeah. it's just so nice to get back to warmer weather and take off those layers, and it's a whole different world. I feel like I totally forget every time, and I think uh, yeah. I think you actually have company now as as a, in terms of a, a player with a visa. I just realized because I think Thomas Gilbert just followed in your footsteps. Oh, right. He messaged me a while back about what steps I took to get the visa. And uh, I just sent him straight to the Discmania headquarters uh, to the guy who took care of it. Do you know Erno? You've met Erno, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, he was the main guy who took care of everything for me. So maybe Thomas got a hold of him. Yeah, I think it all worked out for him. I know that he's like he was the only international player in attendance in, in Las Vegas. And for a lot of these tournaments, until you get healthy... Uh, because, you know, with COVID, everyone else is pretty much not allowed in. And we all love Thomas, so it's great. Yeah, it works out. It definitely works out. But yeah, man, I know, I definitely know Erno. Remember, I used to be, uh, I, we used to be teammates once, once upon a time, I feel like. Back when oh, they used to back, allow the, yeah. uh, the, the, the double dipping when I used to be on Team Discmania and Team Innova. And we had the warehouses pretty much right next to each other in Rancho and Ontario. Yep, for sure. What? Those were good times. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, you kind of mentioned a little bit. One of the questions I had here written down is that I just wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, obviously you have the passion for pool and darts and then you can like, you're decent at guitar. You can juggle, like just give me a little, you know, you got so many of these, like, I don't know if hidden talent isn't the right word, but you got so many hobbies that you're so good at. It was that something that was just in your family or how did you pick up all that stuff? You know, this whole t- journey i did through school was always i mean it sounds kind of cliche and everyone kind of says that at some point but i like i hated school so much and it made no sense for me to uh do this whole school process because somehow i always knew that so i've never had a job in my life i i'm not saying that because i'm proud of it or i think it's a good thing but it is just true and i kind of always knew that 
I was never going to have to apply to a job somehow. <laughs> and somehow it all worked out. And my dad, my dad was big into sports. He was a, a ski teacher. When he was younger, he picked up disc golf before I was born. Um, so it was growing up always, of course, the number one thing for me and my dad to do. He, he was actually a pretty good guitar player as well. So I guess I picked it up from him as well. I joined band classes in school really early on. Like, I think I was like seven, eight years old with my first band. Um, later a bit more seriously. And we had some gigs and like bars and school concerts. So music was a pretty big part of my life always. I was always the lead guitar player. Right now, I enjoy piano more than I do guitar. Wow, okay. And with all the sports... <sighs> what? It's so hard to say because I feel like I've tried everything. And the things that I enjoyed most, I like stuck with and I got pretty good at them. But uh, people always told me I'm, I'm like talented at just random things, but... I always felt like I'm not really that talented. I just like do it so many times that I get good at it. It's probably kind of a, a tricky line to figure out where talent begins and where practice ends. I always think that anyway, like talent's a funny idea. You know, it's like, okay, you know, maybe that exists or someone has some innate skill to do something, but it's like hard to tell like how much of that is natural and how much of that is just like, I enjoy it. So I did it more and look at me now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was always tall and skinny, so I guess that's an advantage in, in most things when it comes to sports. And I guess from my dad, I got some good genes with coordination and just being high energy and pretty much ready to go every day to do to try something new. Sure. And Who are some of those musical influences? You, you, you're playing bands? What kind of music are you playing? So we were just... This was like way back in, in the high school days when I, when did we go like more serious? I think we were like barely 15, like 14, 15. We were playing like cover songs, a lot of German style, like pop rock, kind of like what you would hear on the radio, mainstream stuff. I, I remember we were covering some Green Day songs as well. Nice. So it was pretty like the classic thing you would expect from like a high school band project. What was the band's name? It was a German name. It was called Gegenwind, which is a uh, head. It called it, it means headwind. 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 And it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. was, and that wasn't wow. disc golf related. Oh, this was before my my whole disc golf thing really started. So yeah, it was not at all disc golf related. Man, it all just come. It all just connects. It's because we were playing so loud and aggressive that the subwoofers were blowing winds in people's faces. <laughs> 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 oh that's great <laughs> somewhere on the internet there's videos but I, okay I, I haven't seen them in years and i don't even really know where to look for them or find them but maybe one day i should ask my old teacher or something for videos and maybe i can like make a little vlog about it yeah i was gonna say get you out of one more one day of that vlogmas man i mean i have a lot of respect <laughs> for what you did there like i feel like i do this podcast once a week and I'm interviewing friends and people that I know, and I still kind of struggle sometimes. Like, what am I going to talk to? Well, you know, I want to just catch up and talk, obviously, but then I, I got to have some good questions, you know. And then I think about you just ripping through whatever that is, 24 straight days, having to think up a new idea and edit. And it's just, I don't know, the stress, it's it gets to me just even thinking about undertaking something like that. Yeah, it, it was a complete madness. Eagle's done it three times now. 
And every time he calls me the next day and is like, oh my God, I want to quit. I can't do this ever again. Like, why do I even do this? But um, I have to say at the end of it all, it felt like really good and it felt like worth it. And I almost missed like the next day, not having the next upload ready. So I guess it was still a cool experience, even though I'm doubting that I'll do like the whole thing again. Yeah, a lot of work, but obviously it pays off in, in your channel and your fans. And I definitely heard somewhere it takes 21 days to make a habit. So maybe that has something to do with it. You hit, you hit 21 days in a row and you start missing it. You want to make more videos. Yeah, but my injury definitely didn't help the whole process. No. If I could have thrown and go play courses and do course reviews or little trick shots or ace runs, you know, that kind of stuff that I always love doing, like that's for me so much fun and so easy to do. Um, but unfortunately, those are not options right now. And coming up with other ideas that I find fun and that I find worth posting, especially now where the channel has like over 100,000 subscribers. And I really have to say, I feel way more pressure uploading stuff. And I don't want to upload just complete random content that I don't think myself is very good. Obviously, it has happened that I upload a video that I don't think is great. <laughs> But yeah. um, it's, it's a tough question to know, like, is a bad upload better than no upload? So it's, it's kind of tough to find the balance. And yeah, my YouTube journey is definitely not over. And once, once I can throw again and once the pandemic slows down, which I've read a freaking article yesterday that said 2023. What? And I was like, no way. And I was just pretty depressed about that news. But who knows? I'm just going to say who knows. And... I just know one day that YouTube is going to be probably my main my main thing. Like in front of professional disc golf? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, eventually. So you did all those awesome YouTube videos where you were doing the rankings and you were rating the different players. You have anybody reach out to you and say, oh, come on, man. I'm, I was definitely a, a level two, not a level three. Yeah, good question. Pretty much every single video, at least one or two <laughs> other pros reached out to me. Uh, right now off the top, I remember Emerson Keith at least once. <laughs> Eric Oakley, of course, every single video would complain. <laughs> um, who else? I forget I mean, right now who else, I mean, but at least a handful of other guys. So I think Colton Montgomery also, of course. Uh, the team, my team that's close to me reaches out all the time. But... uh I think everyone that knows me knows that those are very much not to be taken too seriously, even though I, I see their point that they get put on blast a bit in front of potentially like 50 to 100,000 people and they want they want to be ranked properly. <laughs> I was in the comments sometimes because I never got ranked because I wasn't yeah. in the top 32 of the of the DGPT thanks to the, the old COVID. So yeah, I was definitely in the comments like, hey, <laughs> wait, wait, four hands. <laughs> I know. I After every upload, I like facepalm myself because I'm like, oh, I forgot to do like an honorable mention, put Nate Sexton in there. And every time <laughs> I upload a video, I think to myself, damn, this could have been so much better if I just thought sure. about it a bit longer. But that's kind of my style. I never really think about it too much. I kind of wing it. And then at the end, the product is mostly okay, but it always could have been much better if I actually put some more time and effort into it. Well, I mean, when you got to upload every day and anyway, it's working because I mean, you know, my daughter, you, you, like I said in your intro, you, you know, you've, you've won yourself a fan just from us watching some, some vlogs. She always says, Oh, what's, what's my friend Simon doing now? 
and she wants to see the videos and and uh and yeah we 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 definitely love them i'm I'm curious i don't know if this is uh gonna come right off the top of your head and if it doesn't that's fine we can just kind of skip over this question but i was curious like what video of all these things you've done what's the video that like was the kind of like the least effort like oh i don't i don't even think this is good and then it got a huge reaction and then on the other side of that coin the one that you're like oh i planned this forever and then it and it and i worked for days and then it just kind of was like eh so it's okay oh i wish you would have sent me a message going like go through your youtube so you remember all the videos you've ever posted <laughs> <It's been laughs> so many and i need like a fresh yeah. up right now of what it's, I it's, posted. All, it's cool but no, I like the question, in. and there's definitely a good answer. I just have to think if I can come up with a good answer in the next two seconds. Well, we could skip to another question too, and maybe maybe we loop back if you. Uh, okay, if let's loop back. Let's loop back. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I want to go farther back in time anyway. Back to I think it was 2014. Is that kind of like deep in the game? Maniac RV. Those is that the right year? My first year in the states. Yep. Okay, and so that so you are coming in as almost like an unknown at that point. You know, as in in terms of like a disc golf professional, like a, a a little bit, you you had like you know people kind of knew of you, but not much, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say maybe five hundred people in the world knew who I was. Okay, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and that counts like aunts and uncles. So yeah, that's not many. Not many. Um, <laughs> you'd kind of be hard pressed to get under that number, I think, no matter what you're doing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, so you were with Avery, right? And you're going around, you're doing clinics and you're playing tournaments and he's kind of showing you the ropes of like what the life on the road is like. Yeah. Okay, great. So for one, you know, our, our listeners, one thing that I did warn you about that we need for our listeners is that we do a lot of asking about the very worst thing that ever happened in an RV. So if you have one of those queued up, we'd love to hear an RV horror story from those days. I know that RV wasn't really in tip-top shape at times, so I'm guessing you have <laughs> some uh, you have some uh, problems stories. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. But so right when you uh, sent me that this question was going to come up, I reached out to Avery, Jamie Thomas, and Eric Oakley, which were my first three years, my touring partners. And I think the big thing about why people have these horror stories is because they are the people that have the responsibility to drive, to mm. plan, and all this. And that was maybe, luckily for me, never my job. So I literally, probably most of the time when something bad happened, didn't even realize what was going on because I was just sitting in the shotgun seat and being on my phone or sleeping. <laughs> so that was mostly my life. But uh Eric Oli said, first of all, nothing, I think, where I was lucky in three years, nothing really nightmares would happen like i don't remember anything off the top of my head that is good three guys didn't say that anything bad happened eric said the worst part was when i broke the windshield with my foot (laughs) just by like pushing too hard from the inside yeah i was just leaning back like resting my feet on top and uh, pushing against the windshield a bit and suddenly we hear a big bang and i take my foot off the glass and there's like a huge crack and we were like, what the heck just happened? So not really a nightmare, but that was funny. Avery said <laughs> what Avery said was that he can't think of anything bad that happened. Our tour was smooth and adventurous. That's all. Oh, what a, that's a nice stock answer from AJ. Just very down the middle. And Jamie Thomas said 
the biggest nightmare for him was when I made him listen to Crash Test Dummies over and over again. <laughs> well, our fan, I, I, I don't blame Simon if you're if the fans out there wanted something worse. I mean, he just had too good of drivers. But what I remember from that RV is that it like it looked pretty sweet on the outside, and it was all wrapped, and it was nice. And then you would get yeah. in there, and you're kind of like, oh, this is older than I thought it was. And and I remember, do I remember correctly that like. There was not a functioning bathroom. It was just like a storage of stuff. Or is that, or am I wrong about that? Yeah. So this motorhome was like, a, I think it was a 1999 uh, Ford, and it was in decent shape. I think we bought it, and it, and it had less than fifty thousand miles on it, so it wasn't too bad. Um, everything was running smoothly most of the time. I, I think it's, I think it's still on tour now. Or at least it was last year. So that thing is still rolling yeah. after seven or eight years on of being the road warrior, the maniac. Yeah. And it had some leaks. That was, uh, Jamie Thomas also mentioned that, that the top bed over the driver's seat, when it was like raining hard, like storms, we, that's one of the best memories actually from crazy things on tour is like the drive through like somewhere in Kansas or through Georgia and you get like these insane lightning storms and uh, sometimes the roof would leak and the bed would get wet and everything was just that was kind of miserable and yeah like you said the bathroom was completely ripped out and i think avery and i at one point were traveling with like 800 discs or something crazy so we ripped it was just two beds and a lot of storage that's pretty much all it was i remember being in uh when I toured with Macbeth being in the RV and my room was kind of like in the back and it, and it had uh it was like an elevated bed and underneath we had like disc storage and stuff. So I had like a ladder to get up there and uh, it had like a little skylight. It didn't leak or anything, but it had a skylight and it was where I, I feel like I was in like uh Ohio or some muggy place and it was super hot like at night and i think we weren't at like a real campground so you couldn't be like plugged into the big 50 amp where you can run the air conditioners yeah i remember like cranking my skylight open and just like no blankets and like oh god i'm just sweating through the night (laughs) and then when i fell asleep that's when the thunderstorm rolled in and i remember waking up just like (laughs) just like taking a shower (laughs) in my bed and just being like oh close it close it close it and just all everything soaked that's a great story, and that RV was also a way different story than what we were traveling in. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't a leaky roof; it was it was user error. But yeah, definitely yeah. leaving the the thing open because I was so hot, but then not thinking about the fact that maybe weather was going to blow in in the middle of the night. That's what people don't think about with this road life: is that if it's hot out, you're going to have a hot night, and if it's really cold out, you're going to have a freezing cold night, and yeah, that's kind of yeah, just part yeah. of it. Yeah, unless you're planning ahead and and actually like hitting a campground, but that's just not how it works a lot of the time. You're like, pull, you've driven too far, or yeah, you've been driving all day, and it's like, are we really going to pay sixty dollars just to pull in here at one in the morning just to leave again at six in the morning? So yeah. you end up at like you know somebody's driveway or truck stop or whatever and then you realize oh man it's pretty hot actually i didn't i was in the truck it felt fine and now that i'm back here it is hot so yeah that is definitely uh an unknown probably uh annoying part of uh of that lifestyle the best the best part about the hotel life is uh the ac and the shower (laughs) yeah for real But yeah, man. So tell me, tell a little more just quickly about, you know, what it was like coming in and following in Avery's footsteps and being, you know, I think 
it's kind of incredible to think that that was 2014 and literally 500 people maybe knew who you were. And it was maybe like less than five years until you're like maybe almost the most popular disc golfer in the world or getting close to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was just insane. I, I grew up in a country where disc golf was barely existent. I think there were active less than 100 players most of my career in Germany. And we would be like the same 30 to 50 guys and maybe a handful of girls at each event. And there were like six to seven events every year. And it was kind of like just a kind of like a get together and meet up with a couple of crazy guys and throw plastic around temporary courses that we set up for the weekend. And that's how I grew up knowing disc golf. That was disc golf for me. And even at that stage, I was like, man, this is like the coolest thing ever. A weekend trip with my dad going to these random places, to these like parks where no one else goes to so we can play disc golf. Um, no cameras, no galleries, nothing like that. I mean, the gallery on the final day would be the people that didn't make it into the finals. Yeah. So I, that that was the coolest thing back back in the day for me. Like I, I was like, one day I'll make the finals and people are going to watch me play. So, yeah. Then I started winning everything in Germany after a while. And, of course, I knew at that point when I started talking to UC and Discmania... And I won the European Championships that this could be a potential career for me. But besides, you know, Marcus Shellstrom back in the day did like kind of an American tour. Yeah. And he, he was at, at least at a couple NTEs and he played Worlds over here a handful of times. And he actually finished in second twice, I think. Yeah, I think maybe Flagstaff and Wisconsin. Yeah, so he's probably the most successful European disc golfer at Worlds. My best finish is third. And, yeah, when I first got over here, I just remember the exact day I left home, I went to the ATM machine to grab my my cash so I could trade it into dollars when I got here. And I had exact, for the first time in my life, I had over a thousand euros in my bank account, which at the time for me, yeah. I was I was 21. I, I was like, holy crap, that's four digits in my I'm bank rich. account. I felt so cool. I'm on a flight to LA with a thousand dollars in my pocket and Avery picked us up in a red Mustang and we drove straight to the pier, Santa Monica pier. And I just felt like, what is this from like a little town in Germany to freaking LA beaches? It was crazy. And then the whole warehouse, seeing the warehouse for the first time and meeting everyone involved with Dismania USA and building that all up. And of course, the motorhome life at first. <laughs> it, took me, it took me a long time to get used to the motorhome life. And I still, I'm, I'm so glad I got that in my life that I did that for three or four years. But it was never really, like, you know, Avery is like a road warrior. Like he can do yes. it forever and he loves it. He loves everything about it. And yes, no matter what happens, he's living full life. And I was just never, that was never really my thing. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with a home base that I have right now, which I only had a home base in the States starting in 2018 and my whole life changed. I was way happier, way less burnt out at the end of a year. And it was just really important for me to have like something that feels like a home to come home to that's not just an old RV. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat with you there. I definitely am glad to have had those experiences, but I don't really like think back and go, oh man, if I could just get another RV and just be out there doing that again. I don't know. Definitely my life has changed a lot too, but but I think yeah. I'm, I'm I think I'm in the same headspace as you for that stuff. And I, I got to tell a quick Marcus Schallström story now that you brought him up. One of the one of the great European players of all time, a Swedish Swedish player. And I don't know what year this was. I'm I would guess like 2007 or eight, perhaps. Like I'm a pretty new professional at this time. Just been playing pro a couple of years. And I knew him, and we we're kind of you know friendly, and we we're we are on the same card at the Beaver State Fling. And we were starting on hole four on the west course. If you know it, Simon, it's like that 175-foot one on top of the little ridge where you can, like, if you go off to the left, you're, like, in pretty big trouble. And it's just, like, a very, very short hole. Huh. Yeah, it's a, either way. I mean, it's, like, yeah, it's number four. The, the one on the stump that's, like, iconic is number two. And then you climb up that hill, and you play the really hard one through the woods, and then the really, really short one. But anyway... Yeah. Yeah, it's an elevated T, right? You're up on you're like you're shooting down. Is that the, the hole? No, the next hole is elevated, but this one is basically oh, okay. flat, but it's just really short. But either way, easiest hole. And we were li- we were getting ready to tee off. It was like before the two minute call or whatever, back in the days when we did shotgun starts. And uh he was joking about how, oh, this this hole is a par two, par two, because it was too short or whatever. And we we're laughing. And then he was up first on the tee. And he throws, I think he might even throw one of those piranhas that he was famous for throwing, this super overstable, blunt-nosed putter. And he throws the very first shot of the round, smashes chains and falls out, and he just turns around and all he said was, par. <laughs> and I thought it was pretty funny after he, after he told all of us it's par two, and then he just blew the thing up, but didn't quite stick. He's one of the funniest guys you'll ever talk to, and I he still plays, I think, and hopefully I get to play with him again soon, or at least see him at some events in, in maybe Finland or Sweden. Yeah, I would love to see him again. He, he was he was incredible. Really, really powerful, aggressive putter. Yeah, I remember being at that 2007 Worlds when he finished second in Nate Doss. I remember him taking a brutal spit out in the final nine that really like changed the complexion of that battle. And, and uh, yeah, he was he was right there. I mean, he could easily have been a world champion. Okay, Nate, I have an answer for your question earlier. Oh, sweet. So, the video that I thought was going to be great and I end up regretting so much because I think that was the video where I started my uh, where my elbow pain started. That video was called Table Skip Shots. Oh, I had a feeling that this had some because that looked like it took forever. And the trick shots I did in that video looked so lame and they were so hard to do and took me I think I threw like a thousand shots that day. I was like out there for three hours straight, just throwing, 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 and my arms started hurting, but I didn't want to give up because I didn't have a video done yet. And then I uploaded it and it didn't get any views or anyone liked it. (laughs) So (laughs) that was complete waste of time and it was completely horrible. It was blowing my mind though, because I, just the fact that you were hitting the table, I mean, that's what I was thinking. It was like, yeah, one must you have missed the table. That's what so, I was thinking. It's like he's throwing hard enough. There's no way he's hitting the table very often. And then, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, okay. I'm not surprised. If anyone would have watched me film that video, they would have just shook their head and be like, what is this person doing? Like, how is this real life? Because no <laughs> one stands there for three hours trying to hit a stupid table and make it in the basket for a thousand tries in a row. That was just so dumb. And injure himself for the rest of the year. 
<laughs> and then another, the video that I thought was terrible, I almost didn't upload, and I still don't think it's a good video, but it has 350,000 views, is a video where I played like the shortest course ever with Casey, and we tried playing doubles shooting 18 under, and we only shot 17 under, which is ridiculously bad because it was like jump putt holes. <laughs> and that video got 350,000 views, and I almost didn't upload it because I was so embarrassed by how bad it was. Just like how did we not even get – it should have been 22 under or It should have – there should have been at least three aces, exactly. Like, it yeah. was that kind of course, especially yeah. for playing doubles. Like, not shooting 18 was like, left-handed, you should shoot 18. <laughs> and I guess that the thumbnail and the title were compelling enough for people to click it, but the video itself is is really bad, and I, I don't know how that video got so much attention. That's so funny. I watched yeah. it. I'm one of those views. I'm guilty. Um, and if you're, if you're talking about getting injured off your videos, I can totally relate to that because a couple of years ago I was, you know, trying to figure out how to work on my form and get more power. And I ended up coming across a, a couple of your videos and I was like, Oh, I got to do this 360 thing. That's where, that's what <laughs> oh, I'm <no>. missing. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then I, and then I strained my body. So every muscle from head to toe uh, went bad, and yeah. So I I also got injured off one of your videos. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> I actually partially tore my ACL once doing a 360 during a clinic in Finland. It was my second to last clinic after like a crazy two weeks of clinics in Finland. Nate, you have done clinics in Finland. You know how crazy it is. Yeah. And it was like one of my last throws. The clinic was basically over. I was just showing off 360s into the radar gun. And I slipped on turf and twisted my leg and had to go to the freaking hospital. And that rehab, you know, that what was it, 2016 or 2017 season that I missed half of the season because of that injury. So, yeah, this whole throwing much and throwing hard is really not good unless you're like taking extreme care of your body. Definitely pushing it to the limit uh, is where you're going to find the most problems. Did you know right away that you had seriously hurt your knee? Was it like obvious or were you kind of walking it off and then realized later or what? I was in denial, but I kind of knew. Like I walked it off and the pain at first wasn't that bad. I mean, I was playing catch afterwards with people kind of limping around a bit, but it was okay. Yeah. But uh, at the, the next morning I woke up and I was like, yeah, this is this is real bad. Wow. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, I want to kind of uh, circle back to uh, the state of German disc golf because, yeah. uh, you know, I think I th – I'm sure you've talked about this before, but I, I don't think you would have any argument in saying, you know, that German disc golf is sort of lagging behind the curve with some of the other countries. And even though there's kind of a lot of, like, seriously good German professionals mm – -hmm. I just wonder in your view, like, what's it going to take? Like, when when are we going to get to play a big tournament in Germany? What's 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 the barrier there? You know, I've been out of that scene for like almost eight years now, and I, I think I've played less than ten tournaments in Germany in the last eight years. So honestly, I don't really know. The quality of players is definitely not the problem. No, I think the problem is. I don't think we have a one great course that is anywhere close to a potential pro tour or silver series or anything like that or European tour or whatever we could do. But I know that we have people that are super into it, that are good at organizing stuff and 
would do all the TD work and find volunteers and sponsors and all that stuff that you need to run a good tournament. I think we're lacking a good course, a property where we can even build a good course because, you know, you've been to Germany. The size of Germany is not that big and we have over 80 million people and public parks are super restricted with safety rules and um, what do you call it? Like nature protection stuff? Yeah. Like what do you call it? Preserves? I, sure, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really tough to find the room for a disc golf course. Because everything is pretty much used or protected. How much how much ball golf is there? Ball golf is pretty good, but it's I from what I've heard, I don't know how it is now through after the pandemic, but golf has been dying, I think, worldwide a bit, but especially in Germany I've heard. And in Germany it's always been like an old person sport. Like even more so than in than in the States from what I've noticed. Like, if I go to a golf club in Germany, it is literally over 90% 60-plus people. That seems like the perfect time for disc golf to come in there and, and get the layout on the side, you know, like we like we do in the U.S., where you get the dual purpose. I really hope so, but, you know, that's maybe only my personal experience, and I could be totally wrong, but from what I've learned is that golf courses are, like, super, what's the English word? Like they'd feel like superior. To yeah, others. sure. Floaty yeah, toity. I think that's yeah. true. I think that's true even here. But I mean, if at, at a certain point, if it's like you're losing money, so you might want to try this. Maybe young people will come to your course. Hopefully, hopefully somebody will will be a little bit progressive there, and we can get some disc golf courses. Because then, then you definitely have the land to have a big tournament. You know, if you could have it on a ball golf course, you can pretty much take any ball golf course and turn it into a a decent venue for a big event. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, you know Dominic Stamper, right? Yes. I know he's starting a new podcast with a, another German disc golfer, I think tomorrow or Friday. And I hope they talk about that kind of stuff. It might be in German, so you probably can't listen to it. But once I have more info about what's going on in Germany, disc golf-wise, I'll definitely uh, let everyone know. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, I just feel like it'd be perfect, and I want to go there and play. It'd be fun. Dude, I miss home so much. Germany is is so cool and it's really people don't realize how freaking different it is. Like how different you think Germany is, that's how different I think America is. Like it's just so <laughs> different life. Give it give me a few examples. What what were some of the biggest shockers for you coming over? Number 1 has to be the food. Number 2 has to be the way people drive. That's probably that still drives me crazy to this day that the, the lack of knowledge on how to drive properly. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm the greatest driver ever, but I, I, I think a lot of people feel like they are good drivers and aren't actually good drivers. But I feel like at least I went to school for like 15 weeks because that's what you have to do in Germany to get your license. And I know all the rules and I know all the etiquette. And I feel like that's the big, big difference. The etiquette on the roads in Germany and the etiquette in the roads in the States is just crazy. And it's so hard to compare these two countries because of the size difference. Germany, just so you know, is about the size of Montana. Like, that's the state that is closest to the Germany size. And Montana is not that big compared to the rest of the states. So yes. it's really hard to compare these two countries. But, yeah, the food, the traffic, obviously. The one thing I like... I like two things that come to mind right now better here. I like English better than German as a language. I think it's 
much easier to express yourself in English than it is in German. Uh, I think partially because you're so good at, at using... Is superlatives a word? Yeah. Like making everything sound amazing and great, fantastic, and just love instead of like. In Germany, it's kind of more like we like stuff, we don't love it, and we think things are bad, and we don't hate it. So it's just... I really like the English language and how easy it is to express your feelings here. And the other part is the beer culture. In Germany, it's so deep engraved, of course. German beer, I guess, has like a famous history and background. And it is very good, and I definitely love it too. But the American microbrew scene is just blew my mind. And I can't, I don't understand why Germany is trying so hard to not have these microbreweries pop up with craft beers, IPAs, stouts, sours, because I am all into that scene now, thanks to Avery, probably. Yeah, And we yeah. drink them cold here. <laughs> the temperature thing, is, yeah, of course, that's also a big, uh, a big difference. What is the normal temperature for a German beer? It depends what beer you drink. It depends what the temperature is outside. And uh, it's kind of like a personal preference thing but you you can just keep your beers in at room temperature huh yeah you don't really see that here huh wow i didn't know that no we like them teeth cracking cold here that's <laughs> that's how it goes down you want your glass in the freezer that's how cold you want it yeah true yeah a absolutely teeth cracking cold here um i actually i've been to germany and uh and the room temperature beer was something that really caught me off guard yeah <laughs> I, I have to bet that people that go to Germany expecting amazing beer have to mostly be disappointed. Like, it's it's really, if you compare it to the different flavors and options America has, like, German beer is, like, pretty much anywhere you go, the beer will taste very close to the same and pretty low flavor profiles. But I guess the history and the story behind it and everything is, like... German beer, I guess, especially if you're like at Oktoberfest, of course, it's a whole different meaning, which I've never been, still never been. That's yeah, me neither. surprising to me that you've never tried that. I'm not I guess, like a I guy that just, yeah. likes big party or big tents with thousands of people inside of them and crazy <laughs> drinking. It's really not my style. I enjoy one or two beers every now and then at night, and that's about it. I am not really the guy to go crazy parties i'm just sort of surprised headwind didn't kind of play the play the october <laughs> that uh then everyone would have had many many more too many beers <laughs> well that's a good thing for the Oktoberfest guys i mean they, yeah, they should have seen the vendors <laughs> oh, they been ready. Good, yeah <laughs> you know moving on from uh from that topic one thing i got written down here that i've got to talk about give the guys due is a you know a friend of ours, your teammate Eagle McMahon, as of today, number one wow. number one rated player in the world, and uh, you know after my time away from during COVID, coming back and watching him play in Vegas, I feel like I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like he's kind of like annoyingly good right now, or it's kind of <laughs> bugging me how good he is. I don't. Do you feel the same way? I I, I felt that way about a couple players on tour, um, but. Eagle, it it doesn't really annoy me how good he is because I know him so well. I know we talk behind the scenes a lot, of course. He yeah. calls me a lot. And I know everything that he does to be that good. Yeah. And 
he is a freaking maniac. Like he, I I knew this from pretty much the first couple of weeks I've known the kid, and that how mature he is for his age, and how diff like people compare me and Eagle all the time and see a lot of similarities, of course. But we couldn't be much more different people or players, really. Unless, well, we both throw far, but that's pretty much all that is similar both of to both of us. And we're tall and skinny. Yeah. But, um, besides that, personality-wise and what our disc options are in our bags and what we choose on different shots, we couldn't really be much different. And we went to the boot camp in Switzerland together, which was kind of like the Kickstarter for him to take working out more seriously, looking even more into nutrition than he already did. I mean, he's been a lifelong vegan pretty much. So, yeah, his health and his drive to be the best that he can be is uh, beyond anything that I've ever felt or seen in other people. I don't know about Macbeth probably has similar thoughts and training uh, rituals like Eagle does, but... Eagle is a freaking madman, and he trains harder and more physically and mentally than I ever have, than I probably ever will, than probably anyone else on tour does. Um, And he doesn't practice much disc golf, but he practices everything outside of disc golf that makes you a good disc golfer so professionally and with hard work and discipline it's just really impressive, and I knew from, like I said, early, early on when I met him that he's, if he does the things that he does now, uh, he's going to be unstoppable, and it's showing the first kind of signs that that might happen pretty soon. It's already kind of happening. Yeah, it's, it, it, there's been flashes. You know, it, Kono Piste, I remember a couple years back where he was just an unbelievable force, and Vegas felt that way a little bit with the way he closed that tournament, like the last 27 holes. He he was like 23 under or something ridiculous for the last 27 holes. And, and yeah, when I say it's annoying, obviously I'm joking. I have nothing but respect for him. And he's, he's incredible. I mean, just doing the Joma's commentary and just seeing that there was that one hole. It's like hole 14. If you, if anybody watched the coverage on the third round, it's 440 feet. And if mm-hmm. anything, it's a little uphill, and there's out of bounds. I know that it just hole. went flat forehand, not even a not even a big run up, not even a flex, just a flat forehand, and parked it. And it's just like, wow, like you know, never, no way I'll ever do that. That was just, it's just incredible <sighs> to be able to go just a flat golf shot four forty. Never yeah, Nate, thought I'd see it. Nate, he has all the physical skills you need to be a great disc golfer but i think almost more importantly his mental game and the stuff he's working on with coaches professionally like real mental coaches and sports therapists like he will take things to the next level just by knowing like literally how to breathe like that's step one yeah yeah it's it's going to be exciting because it's like it, he he sort of he has this incredible story going now where and career where it's like what is he? He's twenty two. He's only freaking twenty two. That's and the he doesn't part. feel like an he doesn't feel like a new guy. Like there's other guys who are twenty two that you're like yeah those young guys and you don't even mention Eagle among the young guys anymore because it's like he's just one of the guys and it's like then you remember whoa he's only twenty two like that's the same age as. 
all these guys that feel like they just showed up. And he's been like already great for a while. And man, it, does he have, I mean, I feel like a bright future is just an understatement to say, to say he has a bright future. Doesn't, doesn't say anything about what I'm trying to actually say. I need, I need to know the German way to really, you know, a new, a new way to say it. But yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's going to be, he already is incredible, but wow. I mean, definitely. I agree with you. Yeah, and he's doing pretty much everything right that he can do right right now. And he's also not obsessed with disc golf that much. Like, for him, it's a job. He does, I mean, of course, he loves playing, and disc golf is a big part of his life and hobby. But at the end of the day, it's a job for him. And he goes out there to work, and he calls me jokingly sometimes and says, like, oh, he's jealous that I can just be at home and do my other stuff and don't have to go on tour and play these courses and in the competitions because it's it's work. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to watch Waco this weekend. And I think in the past, Eagle has not done very great on that course specifically. But, uh, you know, Colton is reigning champion, returning champion, so I'm excited to watch him on featured card. Yeah. And uh, see, of course, how Macbeth does after... The slight disappointing final round performance. So yeah, I, I I'm just super excited to uh, tune in again because I you know I'm a full on disc golf fan and I've I've probably watched like many other disc golf fans out there every disc golf YouTube video there is on YouTube. Yeah, and I mean I know you must be really excited about the commentators they got lined up on Disc Golf Network for Waco. I was I when did I hear that? I heard it kind of recently that, uh, when you talked about that. I forget where you announced that, but somewhere I think it was in the Brody episode. Oh, you did talk about it at the Brody episode. Okay, so I I was like, yeah, that's so awesome. I I thought Ian did a great job, and I really like Ian. But Nate and Nate is going to be a pretty awesome team. We're going to have Ian too. Wait. It's going to be Ian, Nate, and Nate triple. Oh, I oh I didn't catch that part. Yeah. Get ready. You guys gonna be You guys get like a, a really cool nine inch nails logo, N I N. Yeah, that works. T shirts made. Yeah. It's gonna be Ian, Nate, and Nate for the men and then Ian, this Nate, and Val for the women. That'll make it way better, and I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to do, I'm excited to be a part of it. It's gonna be fun. Sweet. Well, cool, man. The very last question I've got on my uh on my list here that I guess I might as well ask uh, before we move into some fan questions a little bit disconnected from what we were just talking about, but I was just wondering how important do you think it is to, to live or at least full-time tour in the United States as a European to have any kind of shot at the very, very top level. Do you think it's possible for a guy to kind of like play Euro tours and get there? Or you, do you have to pretty much come to the U S and, and put down your roots here at least for the, the whole summer? I think anything is possible. And it really depends on how your life situation is outside of the actual disc golf playing. Um, my biggest regret from looking back at my touring first starts and first couple of years on tour was that I pretty much always had a girlfriend back in Germany. And that kind of ruined the whole experience for me because I was like missing home. I wanted to go home. I, I can do like three, four weeks away, but I don't want to be like 12 to 16 weeks away. So I, I guess if someone can kind of like disconnect a bit from family and friends at home and kind of like focus on what they're doing here easier than I could, I think it's definitely possible to come here for a summer and freaking kill it. I mean, yeah. I, I'm excited to watch Albert and how he develops. I know he has a lot of potential. And yeah. other than that, you know, for me, it was definitely the thing I had to do was start um, 
my own home family and friends kind of over here to feel comfortable and less burnt out and less homesick. That makes sense. It's kind of an advantage you don't think about with uh, all the, the most of the major competitions being here. And then you get to, you know, you kind of think, oh, yeah, get over here, just tour. But, yeah, to, to, to not have the option really even of going home without it being this huge multi-week, you know, multi-thousand dollar production to go over the ocean. I mean, that's that's a tough thing. It really is. Like, the, those flights back and forth to Europe, like, I was doing, like, two or three round trips to Europe and back, like, every year. And <laughs> I, I maybe it sounds a bit weak, but those get exhausting. And with, oh, yeah. I, I sometimes felt like I was on a constant jet lag, even in the States, jumping back and forth time zones all the time. It's just, it gets very tiring, especially if you miss home, you miss family, or even, like, a girlfriend, then it's... Man, I I did not always enjoy the tour life. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for answering those. I know we probably have a, a big old backlog of fan questions, right, Jarrett? Yeah, now we've got a ton of fan questions for Simon, but we do a lot of different things here on Running It with Nate Sexton. So with Simon joining us today, um, we had a special request uh, from a fan who sent in uh, an audio question looking for a little bit of relationship help. So let's listen oh, in, oh and you guys, you guys can maybe react to this and tell me what you think. Hey, Nate. Um, I'm not sure if you can help me. I am concerned that I've lost my boyfriend to disc golf. Uh, he's been talking in his sleep, uh, saying things like stroke, birdie, and big sexy berry. At first, I thought he was just babbling. Then I started wondering if there was another woman. Um, I did what any girlfriend would do, and I broke into his phone. Um, I found his YouTube history was filled with nothing but disc golf videos. Uh, everything um, from instructionals to pro tours to documentaries. After uh, confronting him, he expressed that I would always be on his lead card, but now... If I don't refer to right or left directions as Anheuser and Heiser, I am instantly corrected. Um, if we go to kiss, uh, I am reminded that I need to follow through. Um, it seems like I'm always on the chase. I thought our relationship was stable enough, but now I feel like it's being thrown directly into a stiffer headwind. Things are much higher than par, and in my mind, I keep hitting the same first available tree. Uh, I want us to be running it, but I feel like I'm losing my grip. Do you have any suggestions on how to put this in the basket and save our relationship? The last thing I want is to turn this into a nomez. I, I just need our relationship to be a flomez. Thank you for any advice. <laughs> wow. That was good acting. I mean, I hope it was acting. But man, that that was great. Whoever sent that in, thank you. That was amazing. And then let's see, advice. Where to start? I mean, you can take it from us. I mean, it's okay to stay left and right. Simon and I will give you a, a approval for that to the boyfriend. You know, we don't you you don't need to go that deep. You know, we can kind of back off there, I think. Maybe maybe meet in the middle. 
What, what do you what do you think of that one, Simon? You, you got any you got any tips for uh, her name was uh, Tamara Tamara? I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, but w- w- what do you think? Maybe it's just time to find a new boyfriend. I I am first of all very impressed with that story and the way that was put together, and uh, I enjoyed that so much. <laughs> and if that guy, if that girl actually wrote that, then that guy better hold on to her because she's funny and seems smart. And uh, I mean, we all love disc golf, of course. But if this guy somehow listens to me say this, then he he seems like he has a keeper because uh, she remembered all those words and put it all together in a great story. <laughs> so it's it was awesome. Yes, I guess he should. Damn, I can't come up with a good pun, but that's Nate's job. <laughs> Man. <laughs> We've got a bunch of fan questions here, re- real fan questions this time, uh, Simon. So do you, do you mind answering a few of those? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, Jarrett from Buffalo wants to know, what was the first big thing you bought when you got that sweet, sweet Discmania money? A car. <laughs> I bought a, a 2018 Audi S5, which uh, was the four-door sports back. And pretty much my dream car, it is in an acceptable price range, I think, for like a luxury sports car. It's not too aggressive or too intense. Like if you see one out on the streets, you'll think it's nice, but you don't think it's like a crazy sports car. But um, it's a really nice hybrid for like feeling pretty cool about your car and having decent performance. It's all wheel drive. It's great in the any conditions. And I don't know why Audi has been like my thing for ever since I can remember starting getting into cars, but uh, it, that was a dream come true. And man, I still love it every single day. It's German engineering, right? It is German. Yeah. But there's a bunch of like Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen are usually like the more popular ones, but I'm seeing more and more Audis on the street and there's more and more models available in the States as well. And for some reason, they just feel and sound and smell better to me, and they just seem superior. <laughs> I don't know why, but somehow it just feels right. Do I'm they not... have Audis in Germany? Oh, yeah. I mean, all when you go to Germany, you'll notice that you see BMWs, Mercedes, and Audi. That's pretty much all you see on the streets. I'm not surprised that, that I've been saying it wrong, but I feel like I say Audi, but should I be saying Audi? Oh, I say it the wrong way because I, I I'm just trying to be American, so I said it the wrong way on purpose. It's Which Audi. Is the, Audi's the right way. Yes. Oh, okay. I've been doing it right then. Great. You scared me. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah. So I I asked if there was uh, uh Audi over there because you know like in Japan there's no Acura or Lexus. It's just Honda and Toyota. Um, oh. We just get we just get the big fancy cars over here, and um, I I sold. Hondas and Acuras for years, and it was the only thing that my dad drove. And uh, he retired last year, and he bought himself an an Audi, and it's uh, it's an awesome car. You open it up, and the little symbol illuminates down onto the ground. And oh, mine um, too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really it's really pretty cool, and he's pretty happy with it as well. Um, now, Simon, like I had mentioned, uh, and you may have heard in some of our previous episodes, we do uh, ask our viewers if they want to send in an audio question and have a chance to be featured on the show. They can do that at runningitpodcast at gmail.com. And I think we've got an audio question lined up for you. Let's hear it. Hey, Simon. I'm a longtime casual disc golfer who is relatively new to playing in rated tournaments. 
I've been experiencing anxiety and nervousness during tournaments lately, and it has greatly affected my game. What advice would you give to someone like me to help overcome that and be able to focus more on my game? Thanks. Okay, I think you talked with Brody about the similar question, talking about tournament nerves. Um, and I, I really like Brody's answer because Brody said that everyone feels nervous and it's good to feel nervous because if you don't feel nervous, he said that means you just don't care. And once you don't care about, especially being an athlete and being on the course playing, that is the main problem you should be focusing on. So I was kind of thinking about this question as well when I was listening to Brody talk about it. And honestly, this might sound a bit crazy, but I've recently been struggling more with nerves than I have in the past, even though I've played countless events. Obviously, I'm on camera all the time. And I don't even know what the reason is that just for example, during the preserve championships, when I was in contention, um, pretty much the only time last year I was in contention for a win, I was so nervous the whole round and I couldn't calm down my nerves. I was playing well. Things were still working for me, but I was just inside feeling so nervous the entire round. It never went away. And I just, I was like, what is going on? Am I getting old? Like, does this come with age? Because <laughs> I remember when I was younger, like I got nervous, of course, but after a hole or two, those were gone and I stopped like caring and just doing my thing. But um it's just this crazy thing the human brain does, the overthinking, overanalyzing, and then you just talk yourself into this crazy thing, like what's going to happen? What could happen? What if I do this or that? And the best thing you need to train to do is kind of turn your brain off. Once you get on that T-pad, once it's your turn to throw, just uh, try to clear your mind. And obviously, that's way easier said than done. And it takes a lot of practice if you haven't been doing it forever. Um, there's a lot of great breathing techniques, meditation, of course. I, I, I need to start working on that kind of stuff as well. But for me, the main thing to know is everyone is nervous even though you don't see it like i never noticed paul Macbeth is nervous but i know he's told me many times he feels nerves at least on the first hole every single round and just yeah no you're not the only one and it's totally natural and normal and just embrace it i guess that's my answer i think it's a good answer i think you know nerves is again super normal like you're saying and especially as you're just starting out. And I think there's kind of two, two kinds. Like at the beginning, you're maybe nervous because you've never done this before and you don't know what a tournament is or, or what's going to happen. But then later, and I think this speaks more to like when Simon is feeling nervous or when Paul's feeling nervous or when I'm feeling nervous, nerves are like a, a result of like expectations. And if you believe in yourself and you want to do well and you, and you're like in a position to achieve something, then you're going to have nerves because you're conse there's consequences to your actions and whether you succeed or you fail in a certain situation. So I think for me, it's like, yeah, I feel nervous in a big moment or on a big shot. And sometimes I come through and sometimes I don't. But what I always try to do is to just think, just focus on one thing. And it's like cliche to say, yeah, okay, like you just take it one shot at a time or whatever. But it really is that. And I feel like when I'm really nervous about a shot, it's like it has to come down to just me being like, just throw it hard, just throw it hard, just throw it hard or whatever that thing is that I need to, you know, to tell myself. And I just try to make it one thing and just put that on a loop in my head and just look where I'm trying to aim and fire away. And if you get through it, you get through it. And if you don't, you learn from it and try again. 
Fail is the best okay. lesson. Yeah, those are those are great answers, and uh, that came from us, uh, came to us from uh, Donnie Delaney. So uh, thanks for sending that in. We've got another audio question here. This is a fun one. I'm interested to hear what you got to think. What you think about this one, Simon? All right. Hey guys, I love the show. My question for Simon is this: Thomas Gilbert's been claiming his new 1024 rating makes him the highest rated Canadian disc golfer right now. Does your Canadian citizenship take issue with his claim, given your current higher rating? Thanks for taking my question. Great question. And uh, yeah, also for me, thanks for sending those in. That's a really cool concept. I've never been asked live questions like that from fans. So it's, um, yeah, good question. Actually, when we were playing the Canadian Nationals up on Prince Edward Island, I've known Nate, you've been up there a couple times. It's an awesome place. Love the guys. Ben, the guy that runs the whole show, he's one of the coolest dudes ever, and I've been in contact with him lately for future projects as well. Um, and I pretty much only went up to that event because I have Canadian citizenship, which means I can have the title of Canadian champion. I can have the, ch- the German champion and Canadian champion. I can't be the U.S. champion not being a U.S. citizen. And I can't be the Finnish champion not being from Finland. At least that's how I always took it. So I drove up there expecting that if I'm the highest finishing Canadian, I will get the title of Canadian champion. But um, once they did the awards, and they didn't tell me until they did the awards, they announced the new Canadian champion was the guy that finished one place behind me. And the reason was because he lives in Canada. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. I drove all the way up here and I, I was, I didn't win the tournament. I, um, who did you win that year, Nate? I did. Yeah. I think it was one of, the, I forget two years in a row you won, Nate. Yeah. I've only ever won. If I was there, I won. Oh, okay. So you definitely won then. So I didn't win the tournament. That was where we played this first round and I got this crazy quadruple bogey eight on this one hole where I tried to go over the top. Super yes, Sky Anheuser. Yes, yes. And uh, I still ended up finishing in fourth or fifth or something, but I was still the number one Canadian, technically Canadian, with a passport. Um, but they didn't give me the title and I was kind of bitter about that. So to answer the question... I think when you, if you break it down by law and rules, I should be the highest rated Canadian because according to reality, I am Canadian. <laughs> I 100% agree. Thomas is out, way out of line. And I hope he <laughs> listens to this show and he hears it. You're out of line, Thomas. You're number two. Thomas, delete that post and make a post be... congratulating me. Yes. <laughs> we'll that was the, that's the only fair thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And uh, that one came to us from Ben. Well, you know what? Since you like these audio questions, we have a bunch of them. Let's do one more audio question for Simon. Sweet. I'll start by saying I'm a big fan of both you and Simon and the personality you both bring to the sport through commentary, vlogs, and now this podcast. Whether it's showing up big germ coupled with Woody Banner or Riddick for Simon's elbow recovery, I really love you both and I wish you both the best in all of your future endeavors. Now, I discovered the sport three years ago, and I remember my local courses being fairly sparse of players, but last year with COVID-19, I feel like the sport exploded in popularity. Did you both ever think it would get as big as it has as quickly as it did? 
Also, Simon, any news on new tilt drops, new runs? I only throw Discmania, so, you know, I'd like to know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Wow, we have a player. I like it. Um, oh, what was the first question? Did we ever expect Disc Golf to explode that fast and the way it happened? Absolutely not. I never thought it would take a global pandemic for the sport to grow the way it has. I didn't, I didn't even know a global pandemic was freaking possible nowadays. But that just tells you how how uh, educated I am about pandemics and history, I guess. <laughs> but no, it's it's absolutely crazy. I never expected it to go like this. Um, Nate, I think in the Dunapace episode, you talked about the growth of disc golf and the history of how it went slow and steady. And you talked about the same kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, no, I agree. I thought it would just keep on like just keep on keeping on and i'll let nate answer the question then i go to the tilt question yeah uh, again yeah definitely didn't see it coming um totally surprised and incredible and we need more courses like soon because all the parking lots are full and it's crazy and i heard um i heard a statistic and it's not like official but just based on numbers and and sales data and stuff that it as many it possibly as many as 40 percent of active disc golf players started in 2020 and that is just if that's yeah. true that's uh, unreal 40 percent of the players total all in one year i i don't know if i believe that stat but wherever you got that from is probably more uh educated than me yeah i don't i don't know that it's like super official but it was coming from you know innova innova's internal kind of like thoughts about production and yeah just like man the demand is so crazy and just I, I, there's nothing official about it but just based on you know the the sales yeah i mean yeah we at Discmania, it's it's been madhouse and that brings me straight to the tilt which was just another drop of those last week after eagles win which was kind of controversial and i read a lot of kind of confused almost like bitter comments under that release because we kind of celebrated eagles win with a lazat disc which seems questionable but the reality is that we are so deeply out of stock and we happened to have these left over because we didn't make all the mystery boxes that we wanted because we didn't get enough boxes. So we had like, I don't remember how what the exact numbers was, but we, we had a pretty good size of tilts left I, that I didn't even know of before UC called me uh, right after Eagle won and said, hey, we're going to release these for Eagle. Are you okay with it? And they called Eagle and said, are you okay with it? And we were both okay with it because there's no other options. There was that or nothing. So we chose that. And I know that Latitude is working on the next run of premium plastic tilts. I know the plastic for the ones right now is a little weak. And if you hit a rock or a hard tree, then it, it's pretty easy to get a pretty good chunk of it out of that plastic. Does that even matter, though? The thing still flies the same, right? It only really matters for, like, grip issues because you get, like, a significant chunks out sure. of it and the rim will become, like, sharp and pointy sure. or has, like, that big dents in it. So it doesn't change the flight. It almost... I mean, Tomas, the designer, said that he thinks the more you break it in, the more overstable the disc will get. So what? it's it's just a whole different mold. That's also the reason they had so much trouble molding the disc in the machines because the machine is not used to a shape like that and they couldn't get the plastic out of the mold without bending it 
So it's been a whole different challenge. They've, they've, they've tested multiple plastics now, trying to make it work. And I'm not 100% sure, but I'm like 95% sure that they figured something out for a way better plastic that is much more durable for, I think, an early summer uh, new run of tilts. But again... I am not 100% sure on that right now, but we'll get you guys updates as soon as we can. It doesn't matter. Just like the Sexton Firebirds, they're going to be hanging on people's wall, and they're never going to see fields. So they could they could make it out of whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Um, this, is a, this is a fun question. This came from uh, <clears throat> Chief Bushman Ali from Instagram. Wants to know if his girlfriend can use your surname in her fiction book where you are a traveling wizard. <laughs> I mean, I've had people reach out to me telling me they named their dog after me. I think at least twice I've read a message like that or uh, a, a fish. So if I can be a character in a fantasy book and I'm a wizard, I mean, I'm a huge darts fan. I don't know why this randomly pops into my head, but uh, a, gay, a guy named Simon Whitlock who is an Australian darts pro. His nickname is The Wizard. So I think a Simon Wizard is absolutely necessary in that book. I had a, I had okay, a, uh, some is. people, I had people reach out to me recently on Instagram and they had, like as a joke, they had started out when they were pregnant talking about how they were going to name the kid after me. And then when the kid was born, they just were like, you know what? We're doing it. So that was kind of a big honor, actually. You know, my, my brother just had his first son and his name is Nathan. That's an honor too. I mean, tell him, tell him, thank you. Tell him I appreciate it. I will. I will. <laughs> After Perkins, though. Not oh, you. God, oh, please. Um, it's it's funny actually, Simon, that you uh, that you brought that up because we actually had several questions uh, about just that. Um, so Kelly uh, sent into the email. Kelly Griffin uh, says, "Greetings from Maryland. Uh, a while ago, you'd mentioned your brother's family was having a baby, and she wants to know what it's like being an uncle. How you enjoying being Uncle Simon?" I've never met the kid, unfortunately. I've seen him over over Skype calls a couple times, and apparently everyone is so impressed with the kid and my brother on how well they're handling all the troubles of being a new parent. But uh, everything I've seen has been uh, just happy and awesome and definitely crazy. And I'm very sad that I uh, haven't been able to go to Germany because of COVID, of course. And I lost my train of thought. But it's, I mean, oh, yeah, I wanted to say Kelly. Her name was Kelly, right? Yeah. Yes. She's like, I think she's my number one fan as of lately. She's on my Patreon. She reaches out on Instagram and Facebook. She, um, I remember she messaged me before the Pro Tour Finals that she was going to drive down with her daughters to come watch me play the Pro Tour Finals, which I ended up dropping out of, unfortunately, because I didn't, if I think I would have, if I would have seen that message in time, I would have stayed just for them because that message was so nice. They sent me a Christmas gift for my, uh, uh, Vlogmas stuff. And just huge shout out to Kelly and the family for the huge support. And I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, keep it up. Nice. That's awesome, man. People are naming babies after you, Nate. That's like, I mean, I, na I named a podcast. I mean, one, after you. one. Let's not put an S on the end. Baby. <laughs> named baby. All right. Okay. Fair one enough. One baby so far. Um, well, maybe Simon's brother. Simon. That's that. The jury's still out on whether Simon's brother was inspired. So it could be two. I remember when Paul signed a baby. So, yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. 
You think that kid still got that signature on there? Like, Dad's like, no bath for you. (laughs) (laughs) They probably tattooed it right after. Probably. So, Simon, you said you watch a lot of YouTube uh, videos. And this question's come up actually a few times, and I'm going to kind of phrase it my way here. Uh, do you have a a favorite shot, not even necessarily of yours, but is there a, a favorite shot that you have watched on YouTube or maybe you even saw live because you get to be there? I know for me, what comes to mind is Philo's Albatross, and mm-hmm. the other one is, dude, you threw a 492-foot putter over the drink and uh and those are like those are like two of my absolute favorite disc golf shots is there one that sticks out to you well i have to give a quick shout out to kevin jones for that slip ace because everyone who's never played that hole cannot understand how impressive that is i mean it's my home course i've never i've played that hole so many times i've never even gotten remotely close without slipping of acing that hole. It is an insane shot. And the way he fell, that whole video is definitely one of my favorite shots of all time to watch. And another shot that just came to mind randomly, I haven't thought about this for years, I think, but I also still hold the mini distance world record at 529 feet or something like that. Now it was with like an Innova mini driver. And it's unfortunately not on video. The video would be useless because I couldn't even see it land in person. But it was the most, it was no wind. It was in on this dry lake bed close to Las Vegas. And it was my first throw pretty much ever with a mini that hard. And I ever, ever since that throw, I never gotten close to 500 feet, nor like not even 450 or anything like that. It was the first throw, one take, and it was like the best mini throw I've ever thrown or ever seen anyone throw. It was no wind. It was like a legit 530 foot mini throw on straight land. I was like just mind blown. Like Everything that could connect just connected at that time. I was like, what the heck just happened? That's insane. Yeah, that was You got one, Nate? Well, favorite shot of all time? Yeah, or, you know, is there just a shot that really sticks out? Like one where you're like, oh, man, remember when, other than the monkey paw, you can't can't pick that. That's a good one. We talked about that. I mean, I I don't know. It's like, gosh, with Simon here, my mind goes straight to that shot at the GBO when after that big backup and then going that huge Anheuser over the road on whatever hole that is at Jones and ended up parking that. I mean, that, that was something else for sure. So, yeah. I gotta, I gotta give it to our guest. He's, he's, if you think about a guy who throws amazing shots, he's probably the first guy that comes into my mind. Yeah, that was, that was a really good one. I remember like moments like that. I don't know if you've guys seen, uh, the Bryson DeChambeau videos that were uh, last weekend where he hit this crazy. He he drove that 555. He tried to drive the green. Yeah. (laughs) So like the, I think he explained it pretty well in an interview, like the feeling you get before you try to pull something like that off and then when you actually do it it's it's just such an adrenaline boost um i don't know if it's just for me but um i i felt more hyped up and excited over shots like that than i have after winning some of the tournaments that i've won i can i can sort of see it not that i ever throw shots like that unfortunately i wish i did but uh, I could see it in that it's like a lot more immediate. You know, like winning a tournament is like a 
process and you're yeah. like you like kind of it's not a surprise you're like okay i'm gonna i'm in the hunt oh it's coming together three holes to go you kind of like know you did it it's like a slow build and it's like really looking back you it's really a big accomplishment but i feel like having this one like moment that just like blows everyone's mind that's there is uh is sort of a different thing where you like don't know how it could go and and i think i feel like for you you know i get the sense that you kind of like relish the opportunity to like not really tell anybody you're about to do it and then it's like what <laughs> you know and then it's like off the side of the tee and you're like i never even oh my god and everyone everyone in attendance including the guys on your card are like jaws on the floor like no way and that's like a lot i can see how that would be more like thrilling in the moment it's really i don't really plan it it's kind of like depends on how my round is going my round is going at the time and i just feel this feeling that builds up so deep inside my what do you call it soul sure and my heart rate starts going up like way before i even step on the tee like i'm just already thinking about it and i'm like getting nervous and excited and uh yeah, the the best part is when Germ is on the card and watching because he just brings the best reactions. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, I just want to play every round with Germ just to see his reactions to any good or bad throw. It's uh, just always so fun. And he was there for that GBO shot we were talking about. And yeah, for what, sure. what a cool moment. He's like the human version of the English language. How you're saying English is like a lot better for like showing the extremes of emotion. He's like that put into a body and he's so big and he wears such bright shirts. You're never <laughs> going to miss him. And yeah, he's just like when he's, when it's sad, it's the saddest thing ever. And when it's happy, it's the happiest thing ever. He's, he's great for that. He's a professional drama queen, like but in like a good way, not, a, not a negative way, like a very entertaining, funny way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I got two more that I want to hear you, you go over. Um, the first one here, which came in a million times, and you listen to the Brody episode, so you don't have to get real deep into it, but man, the Distoff debate groups on Facebook have been blowing up over this subject. Simon, what's your take? Give more of the purse to those that top tier that's finishing in the tournament, or spread it out all the way down? <sighs> oh, that's such a tough question. Such a hard question, because I, I can see both sides work and i can see both sides make sense i know that's a, such a lame answer and i should have a better answer but one thing i am so bad at is thinking business and there's a couple of players that are really good at it paul is one of them um but the guy that i work for or with is uc and he's one of the greatest business minds in disc golf and I kind of let those guys make those kind of calls or even think about that kind of stuff because I feel like it's not really my job to determine those kind of decisions. But that being said, um, I would like to see the PDGA try something like that and see how it feels, see if it changes anything, try it for a season or two and see what happens. And I guess then we'll know because it, is it one of these things? Because there's like only one way to find out. Like just talking about it over and over, it like where is that going to bring us? I don't know. I think people underestimate the amount of brain power that goes into throwing 700 feet over out of bounds. <laughs> and it's like Simon's busy. You know, don't 
don't leave him alone. <laughs> he, he, he already has something he has to do, and that's calculate <laughs> what angle is he going to need to put it on given this wind to make sure it goes over the tree that you never thought you'd ever see anybody throw towards <laughs> and still slow down in time before the water and get by the basket. Let, let, him, let him run those numbers. Uh, Nate? Yeah, they don't call it the Simon line for nothing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, that was a bad answer. I know. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. No, hey, that's that's a that's an honest answer. Now, here's a here's a fun one for both of you. This came from Brad Brinker. Who do you guys think right now on tour has the best chance at beating Macbeth's contract? Oh gosh. Well, I I don't think anyone has a great chance like in the near term because I think Macbeth is a five-time world champion and like a guaranteed like to go down as either the greatest or the one a, you know, it's kind of who, however you want to slice it. Like nobody else has even close to his resume that's active and playing right now. Um, but I guess I would almost, I guess I would say Eagle because of his skills and his age. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was instantly thinking Eagle as well. Paul just hit the freaking wave of a lifetime when he did that discraft switch. And Everything that could fall into place kind of fell into place for him. Obviously, he put <laughs> 15 years of really hard work into it, and he kind of made it work for him. But, man, he outplayed, like Yussi always said, like he took all our lunches. <laughs> he took all our lunches with that move, and it worked out. And, I mean, uh, under our, the players, we kind of know. We don't really know all the numbers, but we kind of know what everyone makes-ish. Um, and no one's close and no one is going to be close, I think, for the next five years at least. And who knows after that, Paul's going to be 36 at that time or something. Eel's going to be 27. And if this golf keeps growing the way it is, if way more fans start showing up, if more views, if more sponsors get picked up, then, um, I, th- I see maybe, maybe less than a handful of guys, but somewhere in that range, Probably uh, start breaking the six figures, no, seven figures a year. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, and I, I don't, I don't see it going backwards. And I think it's going to be one of those things where, where Paul was the, the first one. Um, but I think with the sport continuing to grow, I, I think that seeing some of these younger guys, Eagle, uh, Calvin, uh, even yourself, Simon, I mean, you guys are going to be looking at some, uh, some big growth in the bank account over the next you know 10 12 years yeah but a million dollars is a stretch <laughs> at least for the next couple of years next couple of years and i'm like fine with it you know it's like Macbeth deserves it you know he's he oh no like, doubt no doubt like it doesn't it doesn't bother me that he's making over double what anyone else is making and maybe over triple may you know hard to say but uh you know it's like well earned you know all i can do is tip my cap to him he's a friend and he and he's achieved an incredible thing and it's like i'm not bitter it's 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 uh if anybody's gonna make that money it's got to be him yeah and it's probably i think most likely it's beneficial to pretty much any disc golfer that paul has announced it and is showing everyone what is possible oh man i mean i think in a lot of ways paul Paul getting out of my way and letting me become the end of a team captain is kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. There you go. Paul's the man. Yeah. 
Well, again, it's uh, I know exactly what you guys are saying, but you know, I remember it was like you know 1988 or 89. Uh, Mario Lemieux signed the first million dollar contract in the NHL, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, that's crazy!" And we're not going to see that kind of money. And now it's like they give you a million bucks if you make the farm team. So mm-hmm. you know, things are things grow fast, a lot faster than people expect. I think yeah. five years is fair. I think, yeah, in the next five years, I'll say some, at least one or two other guys are going to be at that level. But who knows? Hopefully, it goes faster, and maybe I'll be a millionaire next year. <laughs> it's, it's and I mean, it's like it just it depends if somebody goes on a tear. If Eagle can win two or three world championships in a row, good luck paying him anything less. You know, yeah. like it's it's uh, it just matters how the how the sport goes. If somebody can dominate, they're gonna they're gonna have earned that paycheck. Well, Simon, this is usually the point of the show where I let our guests go ahead and uh, plug their websites or their YouTube pages, but I'm pretty sure everybody that's listening has been following you on YouTube already. Uh, again, I should, like I told Brody, I should probably be asking you to promote us because your, your social media game's on point, man. But for those who may not know, uh, where can they check you out at? Do you have anything else going on? Anything you want to plug or pitch? Now's the time, man. Yeah, so... I'm trying to work with the pro tour a little bit because I'm stuck at home and I have this awesome friend. His name is Matt Graham, just around the corner here. And he is so good at doing like live feeds, podcasts. And I really want to do something. I'm not sure what yet for the pro tour, maybe some kind of companion feed for at least the final round on Sundays to do like a co-commentary or just reactions of my own style. I don't want to take anything from the Pro Tour, of course. I only want to add. And hopefully, hopefully we can make stuff like that happen. And other than that, you know, probably, yeah, most people know. But on YouTube, of course, the content has been slow because I'm focusing 100% on the rehab. But there will be probably a video a week-ish. Maybe I'll skip a week here and there. But other than that, reach out to me on Instagram. There is about a 20% chance I see your message. And from that 20%, about a 5% chance I answer that message. But there is a chance. And that's what it's all about. Oh, you're so saying there's a chance. I'll, I read most of the messages you send. And I really appreciate all the messages that I get, unless they're mean. But that's at least uh, not the not that big of a percentage. But yeah, no, just thanks everyone for the continuous support, even though I had such a rough season last year and kind of uh, haven't been posting as much as I would like to. And But, you know, I, I'm, I'm still doing my best and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. That's pretty much it. Quick shout out to Matt Graham, Nick and Matt show and kids disc golf. Good dude. Oh, yeah, he's he's really cool. Yeah, Matt and I have been talking a little bit on Facebook, and uh, I just told him that after the 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 big Macbeth announcement on the Macbeth Foundation, that you know they're keeping me on my toes. So we have to have we have to come with Simon. We got to bring the Sky God to running it with Nate Sexton <laughs> to make sure that we can stay to make sure that we can stay head to head with them because they do a great show over there. Love those guys. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, Simon. It was really great having you on and obviously wish you the best. I hope the recovery goes even faster than you expect and uh, we can see you back out there as soon as possible. Dude, I'm tuning in to the Disc Golf Network. Everyone needs to subscribe. The content is bigger and better than ever and so worth it. And I'm excited to listen to you on the commentary. See how that goes. Good luck. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you so much, Simon. It was great chatting with you, man. See ya.
All right, Nate, that was another amazing guest that you got set up for us and for the listeners. It's funny. I always say for the listeners too, but it's like, I get to sit back as a fan and listen to Nate Sexton and Simon Lazat talk life and disc golf too. So pretty cool for me. Um, Simon's just a, an awesome guy. Yeah. He's one of a kind for sure. I, again, it's like, you know, a lot of these guys are my friends, but it's like, when do you ever really get the time to just have a one-on-one conversation with your buddy, Jarek kind of hanging around in the background uh, to, with, with your own friend, you know, and like actually ask questions you've been thinking about, you know, you're always just kind of in passing or talking around the practice basket or whatever. But, uh, I'm really liking the opportunity to kind of dig a little deeper and, and, uh, hear some stories from, from all our guests. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, we know that you guys have been enjoying it. Um, remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, go ahead and hit that five star review if you think we earned it. Uh, if we didn't, go ahead and hit that five star review anyway and we will earn it in the future. We promise. Reach out to me and we'll figure out how to make the show better <laughs> for you. Uh, Nate, so you are going to be doing some commentary, uh, for Waco coming up. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot because I know there all your friends, but any early predictions for going into Waco? Well, I mean, Big Germ is a two-time champ. You know, I, I got to root for the big man. I don't, I don't know. It, it would be a, it would be a some kind of feat if he could pull it off. But I know he's got great memories there. He's won two different playoffs to win that event. Uh, so obviously, the course suits him. And uh, you know, uh, that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Big Germ to come in there and make a splash. I don't even know why I asked. Who else did I think you were going to say? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you at all. So, uh, looking forward to, uh, to hearing you on the call. Are you excited to do some live commentary? Yeah, really excited. I mean, I love uh, working with Ian. Nate Doss is a great friend of mine that I haven't seen in way too long. I haven't even seen his brewery yet. So to get to go down there to Ben to work with those guys and Val as well. And I'm just excited to watch live disc golf and, and be there right, right on the call and, you know, see the top level competition right there as a fan and as a commentator. It's going to be great. And we're all looking forward to hearing you on the call as well. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, another awesome episode with uh, Simon Lazat. Uh, again, if you guys have questions, you can always email them into runningitpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at running it with Nate Sexton. He is at Frisbee Nate. I am at Jared or 222. Guys, don't forget to check out our awesome sponsors for this week's episode. I'm talking about our friends at Cab Coffee Roasters. Find them on Instagram, Facebook. Give them a like, a follow, a share, doing amazing things. Cab Coffee Roasters. And of course, you guys already know about FisherDiscGolf.com. They are really doing amazing things to make sure that we have all the discs, apparel, and everything we need to get an awesome round of disc golf in. FisherDiscGolf.com. Cab Coffee Roasters. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Check them out. And remember, check out. Use code RUNIT10. And just because you listen to Nate and I, save yourself a little bit of money off your first purchase. Now, Nate, we had an amazing time here. Simon likes to throw those crazy shots, which is perfect fit for us because I know a lot of people are out there laying them up. But here? We got to run it. And, and I feel like, honestly, I could almost even lay it up today because Simon has run it enough for a couple lifetimes already, and he's still a pretty young man. So we're, no matter what I do today, we're running it on the show. Consider it ran. We'll see you guys next week.